Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Big thanks to eBay for sponsoring this episode of Pass Gas. Passion, drive, patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. We're talking superchargers, turbos, exhaust kits, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need for the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Yeah, Nolan, quit touching what? the dials. That, I'm turning my headphones down. You turned them up. After. Yeah, you turned all of them up. <laughs> okay. Nolan, yeah. do you want to deliver the intro? I think you should. Well, every time. You're, the, you're good. Okay, yeah. Welcome back to Pass Gas. Give it's it a little History more. Pop. Welcome back to Pass <laughs> Gas. If you're going to if you're gonna do the intro, all right. give it some juice. All right, give us some give juice. It some juice. All right, hey. the juice? Hey, Bruce McLaren. Yes, boy. it is. Hello. Hello, listener. Welcome back to Past Gas, the Donut Media Automotive History Podcast. Yeah! Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us once again. Uh, I, I love I love all the engagement we've gotten. I love all the kind words that you guys send us on Twitter and I all the other places. I want to apologize personally for all the gross mouth noises I've been doing. Yeah. So I want to clear the a... air. I'm not Deadpool's friend from the bar. <laughs> Yeah, TJ Miller is not in the studio with me today. Who is in the studio today is Mr. James Pumphrey. Ooh, baby. <laughs> and Mr. Joe Weber. <laughs> you stole my noise, dude. <laughs> I'm sorry. Man. I was going to say, ooh, baby. We were uh, workshopping it in the car on the way over here. I didn't know that Like, we decided who was going to get ooh, It's baby. all right. You can I, have it. I also just realized I'm still wearing sunglasses <laughs> that I put on as a joke earlier. <laughs> No. We are discussing uh, Bruce McLaren today, the life of Bruce McLaren. Um, you know what? I don't know how many parts this is going to be today, or definitely at least two, maybe three, maybe four, depending on all the research. Fast Gas Podcast. It's about cars, it's not about ports. 
Hey guys, welcome to the Past Gas Podcast. If you like Past Gas, please help us grow by giving us a good rating and a nice review on the podcast platform of your choice. It'll really help us out, and I really appreciate that, so thank you. All right, now for the show. The McLaren Automotive Company is known for building some of the coolest uh, supercars on the road. There's a uh, McLaren service station down the street from our office, and at least once a day, a, a, a McLaren 720S drives by, and I think, Ooh, baby. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, baby. That's the one with the sick, huge wing on yeah. it. Or not, not the huge. I mean, I think some might have a huge wing, but that's the one with the big old hips. Yeah. Like it looks like a spaceship. Haunches. Yeah. yeah. It looks like a spaceship. Uh, so, yeah, McLaren, they're known for those, their supercars, as well as having a very rich Formula One heritage punctuated by names like Ayrton Senna. Ever heard of him? Lewis Hamilton. Ever heard of him? And my personal favorite, Fernando Alonso. Ever freaking heard of him? But. How did the company get there, guys? What was it about McLaren Automotive's namesake that helped the company get to the top? Well, as we'll see, Bruce McLaren was an incredibly tenacious and brilliantly creative man. Two qualities, I think, drive the company today. Those are great qualities. We just saw a little tiny kid being pushed in a... Uh, like a toy McLaren. Yeah. To this morning? Yeah, this like morning. Like 10 minutes ago. Damn, dude, that's yeah. a sign. That's what you call an omen. It was. That kid's... A good omen. That kid's dead. Is the devil in the form of a Wattweiler. <laughs> uh, a a Wattweiler. <laughs> so, yes, uh, our source for this episode is Bruce McLaren from the Cockpit by Bruce McLaren. Uh, it was published in 1964. Man, I have so much respect for someone who can write their own autobiography. Oh, my God. And just the amount of detail that Bruce goes into on ev- – it seems like he writes about every race he ever competed in, and it's just like – it does – it starts strong because he talks about his early life, mm-hmm. but then he just gets into this hundred-page-long stretch of oh just different God. races, and I was like, "Oh, oh boy!" I always, <laughs> oh, admire people, I always admire people who can do that and just like recall every little detail of like these crazy. Like he must have done thousands of races, and the fact that he can go back and just like remember every turn of it is insane to me. That's like how Jay-Z like doesn't write his rhymes down. Right. What? Like, how do you do that? No, he doesn't. Neither does Lil Wayne. That's crazy. Yeah. I don't even know your guys' names. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So without further ado, yes. I'm excited. Me too. Let's dive in to the life and times of a Mr. Bruce McLaren. New Zealand national hero. McLaren's autobiography uh, starts with Bruce waking up in a German hospital. Oh, by the way, this is not a book report, but I'm just—I just want to let you guys know. Got you, man. Uh, we it, didn't think it was okay. Uh, anyway, he wakes up in a German hospital. He's wondering why he was there. Uh, then he remembers chasing down John Surtees's Ferrari and Jim Clark's Green Lotus. He is oddly calm in his recollection. "Quote: Most racing drivers have some sort of accident." During their career, and deep in my heart, I knew there was no reason why I should be an exception. I thought this might be why I wasn't alarmed at finding myself in hospital. This great quote from the opening pages uh, kind of encapsulates the mentality of Bruce McLaren. If you don't fear crashing, then you're free to drive as fast as you want. Hell yeah. Uh, Bruce McLaren started racing as a, quote, he called himself a secretly scared 16-year-old behind the wheel of an Austin Ulster 7 in a hill climb. Ten years later, though, Bruce would be racing in Formula One. It is said that racing drivers are born, not made. But I guess I happen along those two categories. 
Uh, Bruce McLaren was born on August 30th, 1937 in Auckland, New Zealand. Bruce's grandfather had started one of New Zealand's first, quote, bus and truck businesses. He didn't really elaborate on what that meant, but I just assumed hauling stuff and people. Uh, And Bruce's father ran a service station slash garage in Rumera, New Zealand. Remwera. Remwera? Remwera. Remwera? Remwera. Remwera? We are probably going to butcher some of these names. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to all our Kiwis out there. We love they're, them. They're so cool. Yeah, we do. Like... I think we do have some listeners and definitely some people who watch our YouTube channel from New Zealand. We respect the F out of you guys. Sorry if I make your accent sound funny. That's not my intention. And sorry if we say a bunch of the words wrong. We're doing our best. All right. Bruce had been around cars since a young age. Quotes. Since then, there had always been a McLaren connected with motor transport. Bruce's dad and uncles were adept motorcyclists who dominated the racing scene in New Zealand. If anyone in history was destined to be a racing legend, it seemed Bruce McLaren was hand chosen by the gods of speed. But... It wouldn't be that easy. When Bruce was almost 10 years old, he showed early signs of polio in his left hip. When the polio vaccine didn't ease the pain, the doctors decided to x-ray him. And they found early signs of perthis disease, which affects lubrication in the hip and caused the joint to seize up. The doctors ordered Bruce to rest. Days of rest turned into weeks. Weeks turned into months. Months into years. Bruce's treatment would last almost two years and that it's kind of crazy in the documentary because they put him they just have to make his step his hips like as static as possible so they put him in this like gurney kind of thing and strap his legs down so his hips can't move at all then they put weights on his ankles and he had to like sit in this weird chair for two years two years yeah bruce and four other boys were confined in similar setups and were given wheelchairs to get around. So they like, they took that setup that Bruce was in, but then they made it mobile. It wasn't really like a wheelchair wheelchair. It was just yeah. like, you're just like in this weird- It was like a gurney. Gurney thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so when you have five boys in these weird wheelchair setups, it's inevitable that they decide to race them. I mean, yeah, that's what you do. <laughs> just push us to- towards the ed- edge of the hill and Bru- we'll figure it out. <laughs> Bruce and his friends staged an after-dark wheelchair bed race around the hospital. One day, they chained their beds together and rode down some ramps in front of the facility. Hell yeah, hell yeah, love these guys. After gaining some speed on the ramps, the train of chairs went down the hospital's driveway where a right-hand turn was waiting for them. Uh, Since 10-year-old boys don't understand the nuances of wheelchair bed thing handling... The boy train collided with the curb and boy train, <laughs> boy train. Uh, collided with the curb and caused a quote colossal pileup of wheelchairs. Bruce's traction frame broke free from the 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 mobile setup and sent him flying into a flower bed. Like I, this is already a movie. Like yeah. I can oh, see for like sure. Yeah. I like Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> uh, Bruce was in the hospital for two years before he was allowed to stand on his own. Two years. Two years, dude, in that sitting bed. in a bed. Free from his standing wheelchair. However, when he stood up, he found out that one leg was shorter than the other. One of the hanging weights hadn't been set correctly. 
And Bruce would walk with a slight limp for the rest of his life. Dude, I'd be so pissed. Yeah, it sucks. You'd think they would like check in on it after a week and be like, oh, mm. are all our weights uh, yeah. set up right? Yeah, they had two years. <laughs> yeah. We'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Big thanks to eBay for sponsoring this episode of Pass Gas. Passion, drive, patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. We're talking superchargers, turbos, exhaust kits, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need for the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In 1949, Bruce left the hospital at 12 years old, and despite the limp and lost time spent in the hospital, one major positive was that he had a lot of time to study. As he explains it, his confinement meant he wasn't distracted by other things active 12-year-olds might have been distracted by, things like sports. As a result, Bruce was an excellent student, spending much of his time reading. Now, before Bruce left the hospital, his dad brought him a brochure for the new Jaguar XK120, the fastest production car in the world at the time. And Bruce spent a lot of his time looking through the brochure, something I can relate to and I'm sure a lot of you guys out there can relate to. Now, he paid extra attention to the cutaway drawing of the 3.4 liter inline six engine. And although he didn't really know what exactly he was looking at, the young boy started to feel that he could be a mechanic. Bruce's parents enrolled him in an engineering course at Auckland College in 1951. He was just 14 years old. After the midterms, Bruce was second in his class, and he decided to pursue a career in civil engineering. A little later, racing in New Zealand really began to heat up. A local car club had set up a circuit at an abandoned airfield in Seagrove. Uh, side note, we're going to talk about a lot of airfields that get turned into race courses over the course of this, because that's kind of the thing. Dan, dude, we got coronavirus <clears throat> going on right now. They're encouraging us not to travel. Maybe we should just take all the airports and turn them into racetracks. That's a great idea. Dude, LAX would probably make a cool one. LAX no, Santa Monica Airport. Hopefully it oh, shuts yeah. down. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Bruce's dad wanted to be in on the racing action, and for 110 pounds, he bought a dilapidated Austin Ulster 7, a sporty variant of the humble Austin 7. The 7 was kind of like Britain's Model T, but much smaller. The Ulster version had no doors and aluminum bodywork. Nice. 
It took Bruce and his dad, but mostly his dad, a year to put the car back together. Pops took the 7 out for a test drive and came back with white knuckles and a very shocked expression. The car could get going all right, but it had a lot of trouble with things like stopping and turning. Pops wanted to sell it, but Bruce begged him to keep the Please, car. Please, Daddy, let me keep the Austin 7. Can Do you we see just my keep... knuckles? Do you see my knuckles and my expression on my face? Danny, it's just the brakes. Somebody could make a stop. That's pretty much how it happened. <laughs> uh, maybe Bruce could have the car, hmm? His dad agreed. <laughs> hey, son. It's, just, it's, I, <laughs> I can learn about brakes, Danny. Maybe I could turn it into a job someday. It's uh, way more than a man can handle, so I'm going to give it to a boy. <laughs> <laughs> his dad agreed and let his son keep the car as long as he took care of it. Uh, since Bruce wasn't legally allowed to drive the car on public roads, he built a small race course in his backyard. Uh, this is where Bruce McLaren learned to drive. There's a story in the book about how he he crashed the car into like his neighbor's garage <laughs> doing this race course. Then Bruce got his driver's license at 15 years old. Eager to get racing, Bruce found out there weren't really any events near him. But luckily, his dad knew of a quarry with a sweet 5 eighths mile road leading down to the bottom. Luckily... Luckily, his dad knew about that. If they could get a permit, this would make a pretty sick hill climb venue. More luckily, More luckily. his daddy was a member of the Auckland Car Club and was able to secure the permits. Ooh. Sadly, but less luckily, <laughs> his dad was sick the day of the event, so Bruce had to do it himself. The advice that his dad gave him was that if there was even a scratch on the 7, no more car from Bruce. It's like, yes, yeah, son, you can take this and you can go race it in the quarry. But if you get even a scratch on it, you can't do it ever again. <laughs> I feel like that's impossible when you're just driving <laughs> on little stones. <laughs> yeah. He believed this warning gave him extra motivation to drive carefully as well as block the fear of his first event. He was too afraid of crashing to worry about where he'd place. Bruce fought his Austin 7 Ulster all the way up the hill, sliding around every corner, but the car made it across the finish line in one piece. To his amazement, Bruce had finished first in the 750cc class. Bruce McLaren had won his first race ever at only 15 years old. That's insane. We need to find a quarry. We need to get a quarry, dude. Let's buy a quarry, build a hill climb course. Have a freaking sick music festival yeah. in the bottom. Take that, Cletus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll buy it. We bought a quarry. <laughs> and you can do your digging thing. Dude, I can do my digging thing. Shh, shh, shh. I have a really good idea that involves digging a hole, but I don't want to say it on the air because I know one of you jerks will steal it. Wait, I want to hear about it. I'll tell you afterwards. It's a really good idea. <laughs> it involves digging a big hole. <laughs> but I think it can make us millions. Okay. According to Bruce... His seven taught him much more besides car control, which it required a lot of. Yeah, sounds like it. But also the importance of, quote, careful maintenance and preparation. He goes on to say, painstaking work in the garage before a race can mean the difference between winning and failing to finish. One of my first lessons was to tackle one job at a time. Do it thoroughly and be satisfied with the result before passing on to the next. This was Pop's doctrine, and it has always stood me in good stead. Bruce and his father would modify the 7 for nearly every event, trying out something new every time. Pops would advise that Bruce would do the fabrication. In its three years of competition, the McLaren 7 Ulster never failed to finish an event or win its class. Wow. That's big. Like, yeah. even in, like, a local 
racing thing. Like, can you imagine a local SCCA like autocross yeah, club? Like, stuff breaks. Like, stuff always goes wrong. You don't think of, but this was like a rock solid car. Right, and then some days you're just having an off day. You're not really yeah. hitting it. Yeah. And can you imagine just like, oh, that guy and his dad, they win the class every time, and they have for three years. Yeah, it's it's crazy. After entering a circuit race at Ohakia Airfield and finishing third overall and winning his class. Bruce sold the Ulster in 1955, feeling he had wrung out all the performance he could have. He was 18 years old. <laughs> I just want to keep punctuating how young he is any chance I get, because like he's killing it. Yeah. Do you think do you think he wanted to go fast because he was in that wheelchair for so long? I feel like that's that was the point of the hmm. that was what they were trying to say in the documentary documentary. They were like, he was like such a he was a cripple as a kid. All he wanted to do was like get up and walk around and run with the other kids. Now he finally gets like mobility and he's like and he just takes it as far as he can nuts. basically. Yeah. That's a good I like that. I buy that. I'm gonna force that narrative in, so Yeah, please do. <laughs> <laughs> but the McLarens couldn't stop buying race cars. Bruce's dad bought an Austin Healy one hundred four, which they promptly started tearing apart. Mods included some Chrysler pistons. Buick cam and valves. It was port and polished. They port and polished the heads, a twin pipe exhaust, a full length under tray, which is like, is that aero? Like flat bottom. Wow. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, in freaking, what is it? When is it? He's 18 plus 37. 1955. 55 or 45? 30, 55. 55. 55. He's okay. born in 37? Yeah. 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 Okay. So. I love like that took Joe. A normal person amount of time to do an, like a very simple math equation, and <laughs> Nolan and I are both like, "Whoa!" I'm really bad at math. I've yeah, never been. Never I don't even know math. your guys' names. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> but yeah, a full length flat tray on that, the bottom of the car. In that's really cool. That's, that's really super cool. advanced. Uh, it had drilled brake drums and cooling ducts for reduced brake fade, which you need for mm-hmm. extended driving sessions, and a fully revised suspension. Uh, the McLarens also won nearly every event they entered with this car. They're just freaking engineering geniuses. Yeah, and it's just a hobby. Yeah. Just weeks before the 1956 New Zealand Grand Prix, which Bruce's dad intended to drive in, Pops' doctor told him that he had to sit out the race. Unfortunately, there wasn't enough time to find a replacement driver. So Bruce hinted, hey, maybe, I don't know, maybe I could do it. Pop. Hey, Pop. Pop. maybe I was thinking maybe since he can't drive, doctor says, no, I think we should listen to the doc. You know, he's got, you know, degrees, went to college for a long time for it. Hey, Pop, look at this. <laughs> look at yeah. this. <laughs> really care about your health and everything. Um, I was thinking maybe um, <laughs> I could drive maybe the car. Look at me toes. <laughs> His dad was hesitant because Bruce would be going up against guys like Jack Brabham. And the Sterling Moss. Jack Brabham was one of Australia's best-known drivers. He got his start on the dirt ovals of midget car racing, where he learned to perfect the on-power oversteer, or drift, as we know it. He would take this style with him to Europe, where he would regularly drive with, quote, full lock and lots of throttle. This this guy guy. is my kind of dude. No, Jack Brabham, as we'll see in this story, awesome dude. Kind of takes young Bruce under his wing. Dude, spoiler alert. Oh. And young Bruce would go head-to-head with this guy. 
Bruce and the Healy were entered in a sports car race that ran before the Formula cars. Uh, race, race. Welcome back to Bruce and the Healy. Bruce and the Healy. Hey. Uh, so, uh, Bruce in the book mentions that the race organizers had um, they discovered the previous year that having two classes at the same time on the same track was kind of a bad idea because you'd have like <laughs> yeah. these local sports car drivers that were like pretty good guys like Bruce, yeah, with like modded cars, but then you just have like Formula cars also just. <laughs> It's like that would be like driving the Z's, yeah. You know the high low cars, yeah. Against uh, because those are pretty good yeah. cars, pretty fast. Like yeah. the best we can do, I think totally. I'd say you'd agree totally. with Lewis Hamilton and like Daniel Ricciardo, <laughs> yeah. like Just passing us on by. each side. Like, I wouldn't mind it. <laughs> I think we should do that. That'd be fun. Yeah, uh, let's just call up Mercedes. <laughs> All right. Yeah, stranger things have happened. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We'll get back to more past guests, but right now, a word from our sponsors. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Unfortunately, the uh, Healy's head gasket blew a few laps in the race, but for a little bit, Bruce had proven that he could hang with the pros. He was he was racing with them. I mean, for short periods of time because the Formula cars were obviously much faster, but in the turns, mm. he was chilling. Wait, he was keeping up with the Formula cars? In the turns. In the turns? Yeah, because like, I mean, back then, they didn't have aero or anything to help yeah. them. They would just like, they'd be sliding all over the place. All the cars slid all over the place. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, McLaren would just break later. Yeah, they would just um, totally lose them in the straights, though. Uh, after the weekend ended with the death of the Healy's engine, the McLarens took a break from racing. 
For about a month. It's not really a break. <laughs> it's not a break. <laughs> As Bruce was focused on school, Jack Brabham's Cooper race car came on the market. Yeah, the same car that he had just raced. Yeah. Damn, that'd this... be crazy to just see like on Craigslist someone's <laughs> Lewis someone's Hamilton race. selling yeah. is like <laughs> just trying to get rid of it. I know what I have. <laughs> <laughs> no low ballers. No uh, tire no yeah. tire kickers. As Bruce was taking this month long break and focusing on school, Jack Brabham's Cooper race car came on the market. Now this was a very serious car, one that could bring the McLarens to the next level in their racing career. They sold the Healy, Bruce's daily driver, and his bicycle to pay for the race car and entered the Hora Hora Hill Climb Championship race the very next day. Yeah, he mentions the bike. It's like, all right, car, another car, and then a bike, which is probably would not. I don't think it'd go very far to help pay for a Formula 2 car. Like a bicycle? <laughs> yeah, a bicycle. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's funny. <laughs> I thought you meant a motorcycle. Huh? No, no. That it was, a, more it was sense. a bicycle. Bruce won the 1.5 liter class with ease. Now, Bruce and company had plans to campaign the car in America, hoping for a sponsor to get them to Sebring. Jack Brabham countered by offering to send them a 1.7 liter Cooper single-seater F1 car for Bruce to drive at New Zealand events. Dude, you're like 19, mm -hmm. and this legend is like, hey, you want an F1 car? <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> I was thinking about going to America, but I guess I could stay in New Zealand. I don't have any this. more bikes to give you. <laughs> yeah, I'm all out of bikes. Alongside that, there were rumors that the NZIGP, New Zealand's race sanctioning body, wanted to sponsor a Kiwi driver to race Formula 2 in Europe. And Bruce was apparently on the short list. To improve his chances of being picked, Bruce accepted Brabham's offer of the 1.7 liter Cooper. While he waited for the car to arrive... He finished his university exams. The Cooper arrived to New Zealand when Bruce was 20 years old. He describes the first time sitting in the car. I was entranced by my first view of the Cooper. I climbed in. The front wheels seemed close and gave me the feeling that it would be very stable. It had more instruments than the sports car, even a wood-trimmed steering wheel. Little did I realize how many hours I would later be spending in a Cooper cockpit. Bruce's first time behind the wheel of the Cooper was out at Ardmore. He drove the 1.7 liter, while Jack Brabham drove a 1.96 uh, liter Formula One car that had also been shipped over. The two racers took a few laps together, with Jack leading Bruce around the circuit, one of the best drivers in the world at the time, showing a young apprentice the ropes. I had a marvelous time following his lines and hanging the tail out when teacher did. When we pulled into the pits, I was told off for hanging the tail out too far. A case, I thought, for the pot calling a kettle black. But I tried hard afterwards to motor in a neater fashion. So that just means like swinging the back out more? Yeah. yeah. Like he's like, oh, dude, check out what I can do. Yeah. yeah. Teacher, like, what are you doing? <laughs> Teacher's just shaking his head. Even though he, he's shaking his head while he is also yeah. just stone-faced doing just that. Just smooth counter steer. Yeah. Jack and Bruce entered the 1958 New Zealand Grand Prix at Ardmore. Uh, Bruce's car broke down eight laps in. Bruce thought his chances of getting that F2 scholarship were shot. I mean, why wouldn't they be? He didn't even finish the race. But at the post-race trophy presentation, it was revealed that Bruce had been chosen. Yay. His raw talent <laughs> Yay. His raw talent behind the wheel made him New Zealand's best chance to get some podiums over in Europe. 
When the time came to leave New Zealand, Bruce traveled with the Cooper by cargo ship, departing from Melbourne, Australia to Aden, Yemen. Yeah, I had to like double check that because I was like, that's a really weird place. Uh, yeah, then he flew from Yemen to England after hanging out for a little while. Yeah, in the book, okay, he's <laughs> like, he talks about time in Yemen and just about how he went to different people's houses for like 10 pages. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, why do I need to know this? <laughs> It's cultural, man. It was his first time outside of New Zealand and he goes to Yemen. That's true. But I want to hear about race cars, James. Hey, man, you need to widen your scope a little bit. There's a lot more out there than just race cars. I suppose. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I learned that when I went to Pittsburgh. I was like, wow. (laughs) Pittsburgh. (laughs) Pittsburgh was your eye-opening worldly experience. Pittsburgh Pittsburgh was Nolan's Yemen. (laughs) (laughs) Pittsburgh was my Yemen. (laughs) Shortly after arriving in England, Jack Brabham drove Bruce to a small factory in Surbiton. It was the birthplace of Bruce's Cooper race car. Cooper. As Bruce and Jack approached the building's curved facade, complete with large glass windows, John Cooper himself came out the front door. This seems like the opening of Jurassic Park. Yeah. <laughs> he was wearing brown overalls, his jet black hair slicked back, and a pipe hung out of his mouth. Pleased to meet you, boy. Come in and have a look around. <laughs> no. Nah, he's probably like, pleased to meet you, boy. Come in and have a look around. John Cooper was a titan. His Formula One cars had won 16 races and won back-to-back championships in 1959 and 1960. John would later lend his knowledge to the British Motor Corporation and help develop a revolutionary front wheel drive town car for the masses. Yeah. They would call it James. Get the Mini Cooper. That's right. FWD for life, baby. <laughs> Bruce's first race in England was a bit of a letdown. He finished ninth in his Formula 2 race and worse, a fuel sponsor he was promised back in New Zealand fell through. When the company's London rep told him that he was one of the 100 racers that had come to England that year. Reality was starting to kick in for young Bruce. Man is really hot out here. I want to go back to New Zealand and hang out with my deed. <laughs> I miss me deed. Bruce was working in the Cooper factory, assembling a new-to-him race car to race. Once the new car was done, Bruce had a string of great outings at Britain's premier racetrack, Silverstone. The track began its life in 1943. It was an airbase for launching fighter planes and bombers during Dub Dub 2. How it became a racetrack is something of an urban legend. In 1946, a local named Maurice Gogahan wanted to test out the top speed of his new car. The B roads around the town weren't long or straight enough. But then he remembered the airfield and its super long runways. Maurice went to Silverstone and found that he could drive right onto the base and did some laps down the runway and return road. He told his buddies about it. And in 47, 12 racers staged an illegal race at the airfield. Maurice ended up hitting a sheep during oh the God. event. So Matt. <laughs> so that race is now known as the Mutton Grand Prix. That's a good story. That's a great yeah, story, dude. It's amazing. And that's just, you know, the kind of stuff you, you can come to expect from Donut Media and Pascal. Right. That's right. Bruce found his footing in the new car. So he had like he was at the, the Cooper factory. Mm-hmm. He was basically a team driver, but they're like, hey, like if you want to race for us. You kind of have to build your own car. It was so a different just, time back then. Yeah. I mean, so many guys from like the 60s, like Ken Miles built mm-hmm. cars, all these dudes, because who better to build the car? They didn't have all kinds of computers. Yeah. And like they weren't, a, uh, nowadays you have a whole team of guys 
all over the world mm-hmm. watching exactly what an F1 driver's car is doing, listening to his heartbeat, mm-hmm. his pulse, which is the same as yeah. his heartbeat, but I'm sure they have like <laughs> their blood pressure going and like all their vitals and stuff. But back then, like they didn't have any of that stuff. So the computer was the guy who drove it yeah. being like, hey, I think like the rear is kind of weird. And they're like, how weird? And then he's like, oh, you know what? It's oh. just probably easier if I fix it, yeah. you know? Yeah, so, like, he w- he was in the Cooper factory and just, like, going upstairs to find old parts and just putting that whole car together. I but at the that. end, he had, like, a, a legit race car. There's a funny part, or something I noticed in the documentary was, like, you know, nowadays you'd have someone, like, squirting water in your mouth uh-huh. from, like, a Gatorade bottle or something. There's all these shots of him, like, getting into the pits and then they just like give him a beer <laughs> they get a beer real quick and then he gets out there <laughs> yeah all these guys are like smoking cigarettes yeah. and drinking beer and stuff yeah what a cool guy yeah. just like you know people say it all the time like they don't make him like they used to and i really think it's impossible to make them like they used to yeah, the world doesn't time. exist for guys like that anymore i guess that i honestly think the closest thing to racing in like this era like the 60s now is formula drift that's a good point like yeah dylan he, dylan has been posting today he's or not today for the past few months he's building his yeah. car for this season forsberg's car is all taken apart Odie's car he's building a car for this season so i think like formula drift is the purest form of like old school motorsport it's still small enough right that people like build their own mm-hmm. and like sponsors i like don't have so much of a say in it uh-huh they don't and have a it's... lot of sponsor money to begin with unless yeah. you're on a huge team. And at this point, yeah. like I guess Vaughn is the closest thing with RTR um, to an actual team. But like other than that, there's really not like a Mercedes or right like a, a um, there's no like team oh, dominating. There's or there's no team race. like there's oh, not yeah. teams that exist. Like there's no Williams. In yeah. FD. Yeah. Like it's still yeah. a very it, drifting still is very grassroots, mm-hmm. even to its core. Like there's not like a grassroots Formula One anymore. No. Like you couldn't go to Mercedes and be like, hey, can I like can I build a car from your factory? Yeah, can I parts? like work you in your thing? You couldn't do that. Work my way up to being a but driver. Drifting is, like... I mean, that's what Dylan has done basically. Yeah. You know, like he's like, Hey, Chris. Yeah, he crewed <laughs> for Chris. Yeah. Like he crewed for a driver for years. And there's so many other stories. Like Aaron Parker. Yeah. Our boy. Yeah. Uh same deal. Like, cruise for Odie, builds his own car. Love it. Nasty. I love, I mean, that's essentially what you did, Nolan. You, you yeah. didn't start out doing what you're doing at Donut. You that's worked right. Worked your way started, up, dude. James I, said, follow me. And then he said, okay, teacher. <laughs> yeah. And I said, hey, boy, you're hanging it out a little too hard in those turns. And now you're- Actually, he said that to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bruce finished third in his first race at Silverstone, and he followed that up with a club race victory the next, next week. However, the other drivers at that club race were a little pissed that a, quote, factory driver and car had taken the W. Nevertheless, young Bruce is finding his confidence since his move to England. After a spin at Brands Hatch, a Cooper employee named Big Ginger Devlin told Bruce's mechanic, Colin Beanland, quote, That mate of yours will either be a bloody good or he'll kill himself. Little did he know. That both statements were true. Damn, dude. Spoiler alert. And that's where we'll pick up next week on Past Gas. Yeah, so that's where we'll head up uh, next week. Uh, I hope that was informative. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where the... Actually, I already know where he goes. But uh, I'm looking forward to where we go with Bruce McLaren. Yeah, what a cool guy. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Pass Gas. If you don't already know, we also have a YouTube channel. Yes. Uh, we're called Donut Media. And if you like what we did here, uh, we have a ton of shows coming out every week. Uh, pretty soon, it'll be every single day of the week. All automotive content. Donut every day. Yeah, all informative it's and hopefully day, all funny. <laughs> um, follow Donut across social media at Donut Media to get behind the scenes looks and everything we got going on, as well as sneak peeks of upcoming stuff. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at James Pumphrey for the same reason. Follow Nolan at Nolan J Sykes for the same reason. Follow Joe at Dark underscore Webinar for the same reason. I love you. Be kind. See you next time. Joe, do you want to have a do you want to have a sign off, Joe? Uh, what about like just you a can't link? Do a wink. <laughs> it's an audio format. Winky wink. Bye. <laughs> Winky wink. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.